Welcome, everyone, to episode 44 of uh, the Lesson 10 podcast. We are unfortunately without the dulcet tones of Farrell's voice today because he's got life stuff um, to deal with. But it'll be me, Ten, uh, and Andy Astronaut, and our guest, Stitch Canlin, today. Uh, real quick before we get started, I just want to mention that we are sponsored by the 07 Coffee Company. This episode is brought to you by the 07 Coffee Company. 07 Coffee is a family-owned coffee roastery based out of the United States with the goal of providing you with a premium cup of coffee no matter where you are. With options ranging from our perfect pack steep bags to your classic ground coffee, there's no reason you should ever miss out on a premium cup. Whether you're facing a long day of travel or if it's your shift for hole control, 07 Coffee has an array of delicious roasts to give you the energy boost you need. If you go to 07coffeecompany.com, Go to 07coffeecompany.com and use code NANO at checkout for 10% off your order and free shipping on orders of two items or more. Um, and I actually... What's yeah, up? I was going to say, you actually got some of these, right? Yeah, they've they've sent some samples to Pharrell and I, and they uh, sent me some of these steep bags, um, which are their, you know, their kind of quick on-the-go coffee. It's not instant coffee. It's more like a, like a tea bag kind of where you would steep it in the hot water for a little bit. But it's a you know self-contained single serving, so you don't have to deal with the grinder or filters or any of that. And I actually found them really useful for um, when I'm going to work early in the morning. Uh, you can you can cold brew them overnight in a thermos, and then just have a have a thermos of cold brew in the morning, or just throw them in some hot water when you get up and walk out the door. And then by the time you get to work or wherever you're going, you have hot coffee. So they're pretty good. Yeah, I looked them up. They like they look pretty cool too. I haven't tried any yet, but I also like coffee, so I should have gotten in on the the samples. Yeah, right. Um, I definitely wouldn't use the steep bags for my like normal home all day coffee drinking because I need many cups of coffee in a day. Uh, but <laughs> they're nice for a quick travel cup. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, all right, so. Andy, you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you've been doing lately? Yeah, so um, I guess like my most recent update has been I've been kind of moving, not um, out of game, but actually in Eve. Um, so Noir has joined uh, the Nano Boys in Thera, and so we kind of have been packing up everything I've had in like Nullsec for the last two plus years. Moving it just to like NPC stations and stuff like that, and then moving some of my nano ships into Thera and just kind of uh, embracing the nano life. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Our guest today is Stitch Caneland, who's a solo PVPer, a someone who posts interesting, complicated balance documents on Reddit, and also uh, now a CSM candidate. So, Stitch, if you want to. Give us a little quick intro to yourself and talk about your CSM run, what your platform is. That'd be great. All right. So, uh, yeah, I'll be applying for CSM 16 this year under the 
the same banner I did before uh, the previous years, which is going to be ship and game balance. Also applying for the low sec and both the faction warfare and non-faction warfare areas, as well as wormholes. So my perspective on Eve is a bit different than most. Um, I play from a single account, so I don't have alts or you know anything like that. Um, Like you guys mentioned earlier, we've uh, you know I do a lot of posts on Reddit. I uh, do a lot of balance discussion talks on the Discord. I uh, have a lot of fun doing that and kind of digging into those details. Started playing Eve back in 2011, kind of the typical scenario where you play for two weeks, come back. You know, did that for a few months, and finally, after a couple of years, was able to stick with it and uh, went to Nolsec. Stayed there for a few years, jumped to Faction Warfare, stayed there for a few years, and then jumped to non-Faction Warfare, low sec, and kind of lived a nomad life. And then eventually, once low sec kind of dried up, I jumped to wormholes. So I've got a lot of experience in multiple different areas of space. And, you know, going back to, you know, if anyone's familiar with Battle Clinic, that's kind of where I... Did a lot of theory crafting in my earlier days and was able to discuss a lot of uh, interesting fits, um, you know, things that people didn't really think about a lot back then. And I had a lot of uh, heated discussions <laughs> with people uh, saying that these fits wouldn't work. So initially, that's what got me into solo PvP because I was like, no, these fits seem really fun. Haven't seen other people use them. Let's see if they work. Um, so that's kind of what got me into that, that aspect of really coming up with creative fits or just things that people haven't seen because of my single account, I needed everything I could to, uh, have the upper hand. And, you know, again, talking back to like faction warfare, uh, I lived there for three or four years. That's where I got a really good testing ground for PVP. And it was fairly entry-level for me compared to, like, Nullsec. So I had a lot of, um, it was a good learning experience to be able to uh, test everything out and also not feel pressured to PvP and things like that. Cool. But, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I do remember Battle Clinic. It, it was sort of on its way out as I started seriously playing Eve because I also did the like play for a week or a month and then quit for a year and then try it again. And then eventually it finally, finally hooked me. Um, speaking of balance theory crafting, you know, you do these really interesting posts on Reddit, which I always like reading cause I feel like I learn something every time. Um, and we all, you know, talk, in Discord, all, all the Discords really, but also, there's a lot of it in the Less Than 10 Discord about different fittings, different theory crafting, and different game balance theory crafting in addition to fitting theory crafting. How, what do you like find you get out of that? Because sometimes I feel like, you know, people are just talking in circles. I think it's important to kind of discuss things um, because there's certain things that people may not realize about certain fits or balance uh, they have a preconceived notion on you know what this ship is supposed to do or how these ecosystems interact with each other and sometimes they're not always accurate um, so it's a good 
platform for discussing those things to, you know, air your, your issues or misconceptions. And also it's just kind of a, I think it's a fun kind of exercise or a thought process to go through those things. Because sometimes when I make those posts or I talk in Discord, I'm not thinking I want this to happen. I just more want, you know, what's everyone's opinion on it? Um, because, you know, I'm trying to run more on an unbiased platform. So it's not that I want to buff Small Gang or nerf Nullsec. It's just I want information to make educated um, or to, you know, provide good information uh, and have, you know, that experience or at least information to make good decisions from. Right. So the people doing balancing, like if they, you know, if they are asking the CSM for feedback, they're getting thoughtful and like detailed information, which is, which is great. I think it's really interesting to do, like you're saying, as, as sort of thought exercise sometimes, like if this happened, how would that affect NullSec ratting and small gang and, you know, all the different places changing even one ship can hit. Right. And sometimes, uh, you know, people get, and, and even I've been, you know, I've done this in the past where you get so focused on a singular thing and they're like, oh, well, this should change or, you know, this is broken. But then someone else is like, well, no, the, if you do that, then, you know, this completely ruins this other aspect of, you know, X activity. That's like so obscure, like five people know about it. But then you're just like, oh, well, that that would ruin that completely. So maybe there's another alternative here. Yeah. And then, you, I mean, you know, to some extent, like if only five people are using it, how precious of a system is it to preserve? But on the other hand, you know, what many of us really like about Eve is that there are so many little niches to, to live in. Exactly. Yeah. The one thing I really like about that approach is like you said, you know, when there's only a few people that are doing something like maybe it's worth, you know, the change, but a lot of times there's this feeling that I think like CCP just doesn't even recognize that that's like a niche game style that's going to be affected. So just like knowing the fact that like that is something that people do and that it will be affected, I think is like valuable in itself, right? Right. And I mean, at the same time, you have, you know, a common thing that people say is like, you don't use a sandbox and, you know, the, the cliche is you don't want to take sand out of the sandbox. So even if it is small, if it's important and, you know, it's not severely detrimental to keep it in the game, then I don't really see a reason to remove it due to a balance change unless it's just unavoidable yeah that makes sense i think we should try to preserve as much sand as we can even as we try to like you know pick out some of the gravel and broken glass right <laughs> um so kind of on that note what do you guys think are like the balance points that ccp doesn't seem to be conscious of like I know when we talked to Rise a couple episodes back, he was surprised to hear that small gangers were seeing marauders in home defense fleets, things like that. Like, is there anything that jumps out at you as a like CCP doesn't seem to be responsive to or aware of this issue? Uh, still marauders in defense fleets. <laughs> yeah, I still think marauders are a big one. Um... It's a new change, and obviously it's. I think it's had a pretty big impact already. It is kind of funny, though, that um, 
you know, Rise wasn't completely aware of it at the time, but again, it was still a new update, so I don't hold it against them. Um, because I think CCP went into this thinking, you know, change Marauders to be primarily PvE ships, but that uh, that rate of fire bonus <laughs> applying the artillery is a is a spicy combo. It is, and like he said in the in that episode, you know, they're kind of just like, well, this is maybe a little much, but if we we didn't do this, everyone was like, well, now this is not useful at all, you know, so maybe we'll make it a little overpowered, see how it goes. And I, I think we all pretty much agree that they did indeed make it somewhat overpowered, but I, I don't even mind that so much. I always like, I will always take change over perfect stasis balance. And right. one thing I'll say there too, is like, um, I know that at least in our community, people make it made a huge deal about the, um, the warp formations and everything and relative warp and how broken it was going to be, but I have yet to have someone use relative warp to just, like, be oppressive. So, like, for, you know, uh, all the changes, I think that one, a lot of times there's, like, a overreaction in the community. I think the Marauders was probably justified, but I think, so far at least, uh, like, relative warp type stuff has ended up being, I don't know if I'd say good, like, I haven't seen it used in really unique ways, but it also hasn't been oppressive, like everyone said. Yeah, and, and I think that's, for all the changes I've seen since I've been playing and paying attention to them anyway, that's kind of the normal knee-jerk reaction is as soon as there's a change, everyone, you know, thinks the sky is falling. <laughs> um, and I think Relative Warp was kind of potentially one of those. Um, we kind of needed to wait to see how it plays out. In the case of Marauders, though, I mean, I, once I saw that 37% uh, damage buff on the Varger, I mean, immediately it's like, oh, well, that's going to turn into an arty platform. And, you know, within days of the patch, you know, we started running into artillery vargers. <laughs> um, so that one, yeah, this, I would feel is definitely justified as far as uh, the reaction. But like like was mentioned, it's I don't have any issues with something being overpowered or released overpowered because I think that creates um, the ability to want to find counters to that. In the case of Marauders, though, there aren't effective counters short of just, you know, mass bomber alts or capitals, which, you know, in reality, most small gang isn't going to have available to them at any point in time or easily anyway. Yeah, not on call whenever someone brings a Marauder in. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I've said this about a million times now, but the Marauders in particular, like, I feel like at this point, they don't really fit into the you know, trade-off system that EVE has where you are have a lot of DPS but not a lot of tank or are super susceptible to certain types of E-War or whatever because they're not susceptible to E-War. They have a great tank and they have basically Hodred DPS that applies. So, right. Yep, and they're uh, unlike Hall Dreads, they don't uh, sit still for five minutes. They're only like that for 30 seconds and they're micro-jumping around following you. <laughs> Right, they're more maneuverable than your cruiser. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, is there aside from Marauders, is there anything that jumps out at you as a as a point that you would specifically like addressed? Uh, the projection meta in general, um, whether it's hacks, battle cruisers, weapon balance on its own, uh, I think is an issue that you know needs to be addressed in some way it's a it's a complex issue 
So it's not like something I expect CCP to snap their fingers on and fix it. Um, but there are some pretty obvious uh, inconsistencies, at least between ships for projection, like battlecruisers and hacks. Um, and then on, you know, outside of projection meta, uh, obviously I got to mention it since it's me, but whole tanking, I think, is a, a pain point for balance. Yeah, I um, was actually, when I was setting up for the show, I was thinking about this a little bit too. How how valuable do you feel it is to balance by ship class like that? Like you're saying, like the hack projection, making battlecruisers semi-irrelevant because they're both faster and shoot further than the battlecruisers. Like how how important is balancing classes versus individual ships? So this kind of goes into that that big picture thing I mentioned in the beginning, but uh, I view ships and the whole ship balance as like an ecosystem or ship food chain, as I like to call it. Um, you know, so frigates, you know, we start at the bottom with frigates, destroyers counter frigates, cruisers counter destroyers, battle cruisers counter cruisers, and battleships counter battle cruisers, and then capitals, you know, potentially ca- counter uh, battleships, and then they counter each other um so in that aspect there's a disconnect in certain areas like we mentioned battlecruisers versus hacks um because inherently battlecruisers have less range than hacks because we have you know hacks getting a 50 percent bonus and battlecruisers getting anywhere from you know maybe a 30 35 percent bonus to 75 percent bonus depending on the the roll bonus there because 25% fall off for like a, a harbinger doesn't matter. Whereas 25% bonus to fall off for an auto cannon hurricane is a little bit more useful. Um, so that's why you have that discrepancy. So if you set like a battle cruiser, like uh, let's say an arty hurricane next to a Munin and you don't even include the speed or anything else about those ships, the hack is going to have more range than the battlecruiser. But the battlecruiser is already slower than a hack, so the hack can just ignore it, essentially. It can just kite away from it and be faster, do more damage, and have better projection. So in situations like that, that's definitely something I feel that is is imbalanced. And when we're looking at it in the whole ship ecosystem it doesn't follow the process of a battle cruiser countering a cruiser okay but we have we have some the t2 ships tend to be exceptions to that like you have bombers you know countering battleships even though they're frigates because they're a specialized role um do you think hacks are separate from that or that they have just sort of creeped outside of their their sort of I don't know from the from the the lore description essentially that they should be like assaulting at close range with micro warp drive bonuses or they used to have micro warp drive bonuses, right? And I think this comes back into the complexity of Eve and you know all the nuance of it. But I think the best example is if we compare T1 destroyers to assault frigates. So if you compare. Uh, like similar range class destroyers and assault frigates, like let's say the Harpy to the Cormorant. They both have the exact same range bonus. Um, they both have the exact same range. 
So if you sit them on a grid, you know, within those ranges, they can both hit each other no matter what. Um, the cormorant will generally do more DPS as well. So, you know, the cormorant, at least they're on level or even footing. Now, once you factor resistances, harpies, you know, going to kind of come out above the cormorant as long as a harpy is dealing with the cormorant. Um, same thing with like artillery thrasher and the old arty jaguar, or I guess we can go with the arty wolf now as it's its closest comparison. The thrasher has more range than the wolf as far as we go with strictly weapon range. Whereas the salt frigates have more targeting range. So they can project a little bit farther compared to the destroyers if they stay within that targeting range. But just because you have a T1 destroyer doesn't mean you get instantly countered by an assault frigate. It really depends on the fits. And that's, again, kind of comes to the nuances and, and balance and complexity of EVE is you can scram Kaida and autocannon Thrasher with just about any, you know, assault frigate or T1 frigate. But you can't, you know, if you have artillery on that Thrasher, well, it's going to be a lot harder to scram kite that in an assault frigate because that Thrasher is going to be able to hit you no matter where you are within its, you know, zone of control. Gotcha. That makes sense. And I, I, I hear what you're saying about, you know, hacks are sort of outside of that balance because they're outranging. But though, I actually think that hacks as a class are kind of all over the place because they do not all have super long range and they do not all have super good tank. You know, it's like some of one and some of the other here and there. They don't feel as much like a cohesive class as a lot of the other things that are, um, you know, kind of ship subclasses do. Yeah, especially T2 subclasses, right? Like a lot of the T2 subclasses do fall in like that, like you mentioned, 10 bombers. They have like a very kind of specific role. And I feel like hacks don't necessarily have like a, you use this to counter this kind of thing. Right. And like, I've always found hacks to be more of a, like a skirmishing role, which I know is still vague in itself. But I feel like they should be utilizing their speed the most to dip in and out of engagements, especially if we're comparing them to battle cruisers, because they can use that range, or I'm sorry, they can use that speed, they can use their range, they can use ADCU to kind of burn in, do a bunch of damage, and then burn out. And if we keep that same comparison where T1 destroyers have lower lock range than assault frigates, then T1 battle cruisers have lower lock range than hacks then hacks can use that to their advantage. But they have to, you know, actually, you know, work it properly. Otherwise, they're going to get alphaed because battlecruisers, you know, in theory, if they have the same range bonus, will be able to apply just the same, but they're going to be doing more damage. So you would want to skirmish with hacks compared to battlecruisers. And, but battlecruisers are cheaper, so they're better for, like, fleet engagements, whereas hacks might be better more for... Um, you know, guerrilla warfare or potentially using afterburners where they can utilize, you know, the T2 resistances and signature uh, or low SIG and things like that to work to their advantage. That makes sense. Um, I agree. And I, the, the hacks that I tend to like are things like the, the Demos where you're, you know, it doesn't have the immense projection, but it does have a really quite good tank you know, on a, on a small scale, but it was not something that you would bring as a line ship in a fleet, which is another a whole nother balance question of how do you, how do you balance these ships 
for you know fights everywhere from 1v1 to 500 versus 500 like do you just pick some ships and make them good for big fleets and pick some ships and make them good for small fights or how does that work it would come down more towards the details um i think for example i think the maelstrom is a good example here so the Maelstrom is designed, or at least if you just look at its initial traits, as has a shield boost bonus. So, oh, well, that's not very useful for, for fleets, but it's useful for solo. In reality, though, the Maelstrom's not a great solo or small gang ship because it's slow, fittings, eh. It has no utility highs, um, but it is actually a viable fleet ship. So fleet doctrines just ignore the shield boost bonus. So I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic and that you know this ship was technically designed for small scale but it ends up being better large scale now there's some of that's because there's issues with the balance of the maelstrom itself but as far as the details go you have like drone bandwidth you have uh, mid slot layout you have utility highs you know all things like that that can be utilized by cr more creative people whether it's solo or small gang so I think looking at ships is like, you know, this, these traits say this is a fleet ship isn't really the correct way to look at ship balance. You want to look at that whole picture of, you know, what does this ship provide that another ship doesn't and what utility does it offer? Because I think in solo and small gang, the most important thing isn't your trait bonuses, it's a utility. And I think that kind of goes with things like, you know, trig, trig ships like Vedmac, you know, you get three newts, you get drones, you get good tracking even without the tracking bonus and then they added optimal bonus and so now you have all that range you know vedmax a little maybe a little overtuned right now but it, again it kind of goes with that that theory of it's not necessarily about the straight traits it's about everything all together yeah um one thing i'm kind of curious about that's a little bit contentious is like the argument of whether or not um the cost of a ship should be included in how you balance the ship. Like, do you think that just making a ship more expensive is like also in that equation? Or do you think that that's kind of like a separate issue that's outside of kind of the other things about a ship and its utility that you talked about? Uh, ship pricing potentially can be a balance factor if you utilize properly. And I think with these industry changes, CCP made the right call to, you know, provide these extra industry things that can potentially add price or complexity to shipbuilding. Um, you know, there's like T2 battleships, I think are a reasonable, at least until Marauders were super crazy overtuned, <laughs> um, uh, you know, a reasonable statement or, or showcase of that because people weren't, you know, flying a ton of Marauders or blobs before, but now that they've been overtuned, there, there's a fine line where you go from, you know, this is a strong ship to this is an OP ship. And I think once you get into that, that factor of it's OP and no matter how expensive it is, if it's going to win you lots of fights and there's not an easy way to counter it, then pricing doesn't really matter anymore. That makes sense. I, I think that we can't, you know, we can't really ignore pricing as a balancing factor because otherwise, you know, people would, if all the ships were exactly the same cost, would anyone ever fly a Caracal? No, they would just fly an Orthrus or a Serb. You know, so I think pricing is certainly a factor that goes into a lot of things. 
but like you're saying, I, I completely agree that once it passes a certain point of relative power, that stops mattering. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think the like you said, um, Marauders are a really good example of that. Like if you look at the cost of Marauders, or not even Marauders, but if you look at like the Dead Space uh, shield boosters, they've gone like doubled or tripled in price just because of the fact that they're used on all these Marauder fits since they're active tanks. Um, and so you can see that the cost just keeps going up and up and like the fits have gotten a lot more expensive for them, including the holes, but it hasn't really stopped. At least I haven't seen like a noticeable difference in how much they're used because of that. Um, because like you said, they've just like, they're over that line where they're just really oppressive. So it doesn't matter what the cost is because they win most of the time. So you don't lose them often. Right. And in the case of like home defense fleets, they have other ships supporting them and you know, they know what counters, I mean, the word spread, you know, there's a solo gnomon in your system, you better bring out the, the Vargers. So, you know, it's just kind of uh, going to snowball and continue to do that until changes are, are going to happen. Yeah, the solo gnomon is the next kill mark you get to add to your Varger or your Kronos. Um, so I was actually talking to someone about these industry updates there, you know, I, I really think that it's overdue that they make industry, you know, sort of a more tiered system and not just like the exact same process for every ship up and down the scale. Um, and I think the next update uh, tomorrow, maybe when we're recording this soon uh, is going to be all the, the faction and pirate ship modifications to the their industry and i'd be interested to see how that affects it because you've certainly talked before and i i agree that navy battleships for example are in this really awkward place where they're too expensive for what you get for them but not enough less expensive than pirate battleships that you wouldn't just buy one of those instead Right, they kind of fall in like a middle ground between like close to the abilities of a T1 battleship and more expensive and close to the cost of a pirate battleship, but not as good utility, right? Right, and like you run into the issue where pirate battleships are over farm because, you know, you can get the BPCs all over Nullsec. I mean, I remember we ganked, or yeah, we, we caught a rider it was like an Ishtar, no, it was a rattlesnake, and we caught it, we killed it, and then we killed a faction spawn that was in his site, and that faction spawn dropped a rattlesnake BPC. So this wasn't even a DED, this is just like a normal anomaly, like a haven or something. So you kind of got to think about that and as a big picture of where, you know, with if this one guy had the chance to get this rattlesnake BPC, how many bots or players or whatever are running these anoms just AFK and pulling in these BPCs just in anomalies alone before we even talk about DEDs or anything like that. So this over farming of, of the pirate battleship BPCs just cause, you know, battleship or pirate battleship prices to plummet except for Bargast and maybe Vindicator um, because those were a little bit harder to get. And I think, Serpentis NPC space has fewer mission runners. Um, but then Navy battleships, like you mentioned, there's just not, they're good ships. Like, don't get me wrong. 
for the most part. There's some of them that are terrible or just need tweaks, but what you're getting, you know, if you're going to spend 500 mil, 600 mil on Navy battleship, you could just buy, you know, 400, 450, 500 mil with Macarial and get better stats right off the bat. So why would anyone ever choose a Navy battleship? So with these industry changes, I think it'll be interesting to see how the price progression settles between T1, Navy, and pirate battleships to see if we actually get a proper progression again. Yeah, that would be really great because, you know, the pirate battleships give you unique bonuses that you don't see otherwise. The Navy battleships give you better stats and things than their T1 counterparts, but the price differential is so much that, like, you know, it, I, I would say that, you know, if cost were no issue, a Typhoon fleet issue is better than a Typhoon. Just straight up. But is it two or three times the cost better? Not really. Right. And the interesting thing that um, I noticed a while ago, and I don't know if this still applies because industry and the markets are uh, insane right now. Uh, but a while ago, I made an article. If you compared the prices of like T1 frigates to Navy frigates and T1 cruisers to Navy cruisers and then pirate cruisers and pirate frigates, there's a pretty consistent like doubling or tripling of the price. So like a Navy frigate would maybe be two times more expensive than a T1 and then a pirate frigate would be like three or four times more expensive um, than that Navy frigate. So there is a consistent kind of um, uh, doubling of the pricing as you went through it until you got to battleships. Um, and that's so again, if, you know, we look at a T1 Typhoon and it's 250 Navy should sit theoretically, if we look at the other ship lines around 500, and then if you double that, then pirate battleships would sit around 1 billion. And that would be a, a more, uh, consistent progression than what we have right now or what we had in the past. Yeah. And I think that that goes to something that I think is one of the one of the reasons everyone reacts like the sky is falling whenever CCP changes something is that people don't have a lot of faith in CCP to look at how things are going and tweak them and iterate on them. So, you know, we see them making these balance changes to Marauders and we're like, yeah, they're definitely overpowered. Are we going to be living with this for two months or two years? We don't know. And it's the same, I think, situation really with the, pirate battleship pricing being so low is just them not going back and being like there's this relative glut of these BPCs they're, they're everywhere we need to change the drop rates change the build cost something right which is I think where these industry changes are potentially putting us so we'll kind of see how that all, all uh, settles out here because uh, you know again that will be interesting because you know, I've always wanted to nerf BPC drop rates, but if they make pirate battleship BPC requirements, you know, a lot more expensive, then, you know, that would help solve a lot of issues without right. necessarily having to nerf drop rates. Yeah, yeah, and I know they talked about one of the things they were they were looking for was the ability to, you know, like prior to any of these industry changes, the same materials were used for. T1 cruisers and dreadnoughts. So there was no way to like specifically inflate the cost of dreadnoughts or T1 cruisers without affecting the other's cost because they're sharing materials. And part of this industry stratification is so that they can then adjust classes separately. And if they make it so that 
Navy versus pirate also have some separation of materials or some other, you know, some factor to it where they can, they can balance those prices more easily. I think that'd be great. I, I do say that CCP, you know, is known for not iterating on things, but the last year, year and a half, two years, maybe they've been making some pretty dramatic changes and I've been, I've been liking it. So. Yeah. I mean, I think capitals are a really good example of that, right? Like they've iterated on capitals multiple times over the last like year and a half, two years. Right. Right. Yeah. I think capitals are definitely a good example. Um, you know, it's, I'm not getting carriers dropped on my head and, you know, dreads dropped on me everywhere I go anymore. <laughs> um, and yeah, I agree. You know, the past year, two years, CCP's balance is, you know, sometimes it misses a mark, but at least things are happening um, compared to what we've dealt with, you know, from 2015 to 2019. We're actually seeing some, uh, you know, evolution of the meta, I guess you could say. Uh, so it's, it's definitely welcome. I think Team Talos is doing a, a pretty great job right now. Yeah, 100%. So to back up to our BC versus hack conversation, I know you specifically have a lot of thoughts about weapon sizes and weapon, you know, relative choices within weapon classes, like you know, everyone fits the largest artillery because the step down from that, that's supposed to be the, like, maybe it's got a little less alpha, but a little, you know, but the DPS is close because it's got a slightly higher rate of fire and better tracking, but not as much range. They're just not balanced very well. And it, it broke my heart a little bit to hear um, on, I don't remember, on a stream, a while back before, right before the Marauder changes, I think, Rise said that they had started uh, doing a weapon tier aside, like a full weapon tier aside, but hadn't hadn't finished it and it had gotten kind of bumped out of the queue. And I was really <laughs> sad to hear that, but do you have some specific ideas that you would want to push as, you know, as a CSM member for weapon changes? And I think what I'd tack onto that is like, how important do you think that is compared to some of the other things we've talked about already? As far as importance, I think it would rank, well, I mean, that's kind of part of the whole projection issue is that, you know, the, the lower tier, higher tier weapons, there should be some, there definitely needs to be a whole rebalance of them because the lower tier ones are nearly worthless in most cases. Um, but import as far as importance goes, yes, I would say that that does rank pretty high as far as, you know, things that need to be addressed. And I mean, like, you know, we look at 650 millimeters, I think that's a good example of the low tier weapon that just is terrible in 99.8% of cases. <laughs> um, you know, like you can compare like a 650 Munin with two gyros to a Svipple with 280s and the Svipple has more alpha than the 650 Munin, even though the Munin has one extra gun. Um, right. you know, Svipple's same... a whole size class smaller, both in yeah. guns and ship. Exactly. And like the, th even the Thrasher, like you have a single gyro Thrasher and it has, I think it's like 50 or a hundred less alpha than a 650 Munin. So overall it's just, it's really ridiculous as to how low, or how much of a sacrifice you're getting putting like these lower tier weapons on. And then when you do make this big sacrifice, like, 
you're expecting more tracking. And the difference between like a 650 millimeter artillery and 720 millimeter artillery is like two tracking, I think, um, you know, maybe three. So, which is nothing like it's, it's negligible in the scheme of things. Um, and I think that's kind of another big topic to, to consider is that people complain about, you know, the projection meta, but that's because we've been, we've, we've optimized the projection meta. There's no reason ever to drop down to these smaller, smaller calibers or smaller tiers because everyone wants to fit the biggest gun with as few fitting mods as possible. So they'll complain and be like, oh, well, 720s take up too much fitting or 1400s take up too much fitting. It's like, no, you're just forcing yourselves to fit the biggest gun because the other options just aren't useful. And I think that can alleviate a lot of balance issues if these weapons are fully rebalanced. Um, kind of a good example is if we look at like a 720 or or looking at the bigger caliber weapons like a 720 artillery as something that is more specialized or more suited for a battle cruiser hole whereas the 650 millimeters are more suited for cruiser holes as far as fitting compromises go so if you try and fit 720s on a munin with this theory in place it becomes much harder to fit you have to make a lot more sacrifices whereas if you put 720s on a hurricane there are fewer sacrifices because a hurricane has more fitting um, so kind of theories like that can help alleviate balance issues like now the 720 Munin isn't as strong if it has to make a bunch of fitting sacrifices to fit 720s and then would downgrade to 650s if, if 650s actually just weren't completely terrible. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And just to clarify what you're saying about the tracking, you know, maybe you're going from, you know, two tracking to four tracking, you're getting a 100% or a 50% tracking bonus, but... It's just those numbers are all so small in some of these cases that it doesn't feel different flying it. Correct. If I remember correctly, base 720 tracking is uh, 12 or maybe, no, I think it's 9. And then 650 is like 11. So, you know, it's like 20%, I think, roughly, if my math is right. But again, like like you said, the the difference in that tracking just doesn't really matter. It's it's negligible. But then you're also losing range and alpha and damage, so the sacrifice just isn't worth that, that plus two tracking. So you're saying, you know, in rebalancing these, they need to be balanced, you know, less less like because this sounds like the right, you know, it's 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 losing twenty percent alpha and gaining twenty percent tracking. That's not actually an even trade. Correct. And these situations is not even trade. And, um, you know, in the scheme of things, it just, you know, everyone's still going to continue trying to fit the biggest thing. So there needs to be a bigger difference between the, the high tier and low tiers. Like you're actually gaining something for going to a low tier, like a significant tracking boost, a significant fitting boost, a, you know, rate of fire or damage boost. And I think a good example of this is quad light beams, which I don't know if a lot of people really are aware of or care about, but CCP did rebalance quad light beams, I want to say four, five, six years ago, something like that. Um, and they're like the, the, the poster child for how you want to look at a low tier rebalance. They're a very short range laser, but they have significantly higher tracking than other beam options. And they still have good DPS. They're basically like laser blasters. 
Um, and so it makes them really useful on brawling a marships where you may need some extra fitting because you're doing something really weird with them. Um, you know, and it just opens those fits up completely compared to if you're using like heavy pulse lasers because those use up a lot more fitting. There we go. Uh, you mentioned your favorite issue earlier, hull tanking. And we've all, you know, we all love the, the hull tanked battleships and the hull tanked combat scanning gnosises that we run into in Nullsec. But like, what is what is what does help make what makes hull tanking so powerful? So the main thing is, for one, there's no stacking penalties. There's there's just you you fit one damage mod or one resistance mod, I should say, and that covers everything you need. So you can basically do one resistance mod, and then fit everything else as buffer. Uh, there's no real significant downside minus losing some cargo space and losing some agility which depending on the ship you're using doesn't matter because like in the case of battle cruisers you can use a link and it just pretty much 99 percent negates the effect of the agility debuff um and then for particular ships so some ships are are much more skewed and you know op i guess you could say with hull tanking than other ships like the uh, you know, Gnosis, Praxis, and, well, Sinesis doesn't really matter. It may be in Faction Warfare, it's a little strong, but the main ones are like Gnosis and Praxis because they just have a ton of utility mids, they have a ton of lows, they're super cheap, and they even have, you know, scanner bonuses. Yeah, and they have the no no skills option. You know, right. They're, all of their bonuses are roll bonuses and not ship skill based bonuses right and then you have like the brutix navy issue t1 brutix which t1 brutix isn't too bad um, but bni is a, a thorn in my side along with the navy mega dominix dominix uh navy issue um t1 megas i mean pretty much a whole galente lineup which i know that's kind of their thing but you know it gets a little excessive when that's pretty much all you ever run into when you see a Galente ship is it's some kind of whole tank monstrosity. Yeah. Well, yeah, you say it's their thing, but I mean, if you look at Galente, they're kind of meant to be armor boats, but then most of what you run into is a uh, structure tank or whole tank because of kind of what you said. Like, you don't have the same stacking penalties that you get with armor tank. You don't have stacking penalties at all, right? The bulkheads do not have stacking penalties against each other, unlike resist mods or whatever else because you just fit that dcu and you've got perfectly even 66 percent resists which is you know for t1 ships and and all that and also considering how much extra buffer you can get onto them pretty good right then you have things like abyssal dcus which i mean you can roll decayed abyssal dcus all day long and you know maybe spend five mil and at least get one good dcu um that can significantly buff a a hull tank ship um so that's kind of another issue you run into i mean the the issue i have with hull tanking is that it seems like every change ccp makes to address certain issues like you know surgical strike they you know nerfed resistances on shield and armor tanks and then they buffed raw hp on like battleships so 
two tanking types got nerfs, but then whole tanks got zero nerfs. In fact, they got buffs because you had that extra HP bonus. Then you had the pre-existing abyssal DCUs. So now it's like, well, why should I armor tank this, this you know, ship, whatever ship it is, when my my armor tank just got nerfed, but whole tanking potentially just got buffed. Right. You need to use two low slots to get the same resist for armor, and you just use the one for hull. And what right. do you like? What's a what do you guys think is a solution to that? Like, should the hull bonus on DCUs be lower? Should it boost you to fifty instead of sixty? Um, I mean, I think one thing is. For one, addressing the problem children, which is like the Gnosis and Praxis, um, or just that whole, the Sisters of Eve or SOCT, whatever they're called. Uh, society, society. society of Conscious Thought. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, addressing them, just saying, hey, these are, you know, newbie ships with exploration bonuses. They're not, you know, primarily whole tanking ships. So just kind of gut the, the whole tank on them. They still have a reasonable, you know, armor and shield buffer to work with, and they have uh, equal resistances. So they're really flexible still in that regard. You just can't, you know, slap a bunch of bulkheads on them and call it good. Um, the BNI and Navy Mega or the entire Galente lineup, you know, again, not to say that I want to delete hull tanking because I think it's it 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 has a place where it can exist. It's just I think the the maximum range of it needs to be toned down um you know so whether that's taking 10 percent off 15 percent, whatever that's an option as well as for one swapping the the penalties on whole modules from agility nerf to speed nerfs and then swapping armor penalties from speed nerfs to agility nerfs um, so that solves a couple other issues at the same time and then finally the other option that we've we've talked about is introducing stacking penalties, whether it's in the rigs themselves or in the bulkheads themselves. Do you think that um, the whole resistances should stay uniform like they are, or do you think they should be um, kind of tiered like they are for armor and shield? As in, like, introducing different DCUs or, like... Or, like... Um, so like, for example, you know, you have like a lot of EM holes on a lot of shield ships, but you don't really have like a whole hole, right? As far as resistances go, like, do you think that would be maybe a way to address any of these problems? Or do you think that it's good that it's kind of uniform across the board? I think the uniformity is fine. Cause I mean, originally people would rely on whole tanks as that you know, that, that desperation buffer when you're fitting an active tank and you're bleeding a little bit. Um, so I don't want to hurt that too much because, you know, again, we, we rely on that for active tanking for shield and armor and not having that buffer or resistance to try to absorb things in between reps, um, you know, affects other parts of the game. Whereas I think the main issue we have is more relating to the stacking penalties or just the, the runaway buffs for that whole tanking is received and to kind of tone those things back to get us back into more of a, a, a workable range. I really like that idea of switching the agility and speed penalties between armor and hull because I mean, my, my Draugr hates that idea, but I generally like it um, because I think it, it would 
really, you know, make the 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 way that hull tanks are useful is as this like HP brick that just sits somewhere to like tackle something and then just doesn't die, and that fits that I think a little better than the agility penalty, um, which is fairly meaningless. But if you can run away from them more easily, it makes it feel a little more balanced that they have so much HP. And to to what Andy was saying, I think since the 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 maximum resist is capped because you can only have this one module that affects your hull resistances, I don't mind that it's even across the board. I think that's okay. Uh, you know, barring like rolling abyssal DCUs, but. In general, I think having the baseline be even but effectively hard capped is is a good trade off. Right, and you know, if we want to dive into the lore for a minute, as far as like why would a bulkhead lower speed? Well, I mean, bulkheads already take up cargo space, so lowering speed with a bulkhead means they're taking out engine components or engine, you know, related things. So that would lower your speed because you just, you know, don't have as much, you know, computer power, if you want to call it that. Whereas armor mods, you know, in space, if you slap something with a bunch of armor, it shouldn't affect your maximum speed because there's no resistance in space, even though we're playing a submarine game. <laughs> um, you know, so it shouldn't affect your maximum speed, just your agility. Right. It takes more more work to change directions once you're moving. Right. Right. And and also the the speed nerf for hole, like if you're sitting on a gate, like you jump into a typical gate camp scenario and you know they got a BNI with eight bulkheads on it or whatever, um, the speed nerf is going to hurt it a lot more because it can't just, you know, max speed ram you with links compared to what it can do now because it's just going to be a giant brick. All right. So speaking about armor changes and everything, what you like to do brawling fits when you're solo. And I, I love brawling, even though I don't do it very much because the meta is so kitey right now. Like, what do we need to change to make brawling happen? The resist nerf was sort of aimed at that, but didn't, didn't really have that effect. Right. The So a lot of it is tool-based. So you look at um, like the micro jump drive is probably the best brawling module that's ever been created in the game um, because it gives you the ability to counter kiters. So changes like that are, are really what we want to focus on. Um, I think the ESS was... Uh, it, it works and it doesn't work. So for brawling... Inside the ESS, it's generally not great because you're just going to get blobbed right on the warp in. When we, I mean, we already see this with things like nightmares. You know, they don't they don't sit and brawl. They kind of you know afterburner to the the bubble, and they you know quote unquote kite within that bubble or on that edge of that bubble. So people are already you know seeing it's you know pretty much suicide to brawl within the ESS in most cases. Of course, this depends on the space that you're brawling in. But on the grid outside the SS, this is actually a huge benefit to brawlers because you can separate warp-ins, you can still use your micro jump drive. Um, it's just, you know, you have that dead space pocket where you can at least not worry about getting Sinode on. And it's in every single system now, at least in Nullsec. Uh, whereas in like Lowsec, you at least have Faction Warfare that does the same thing. Um, 
the other part of it is certain ships. You know, we already talked about it regarding hull tanking, so I'm not going to beat that dead horse. But when every ship you fight is some bricked hull tank that costs, you know, a fraction of what your fit does, um, that's kind of an issue because it limits what you want to engage because, you know, you don't want to get pinned down by, you know, two or three hull tank gnosis because you're just not going to get out of that before the blob arrives. Um, but, like, then you have the grappler. Those are also really beneficial brawler tools because it freed up a mid-slot. So before, when you would brawl, you had to use two webs. With the grappler, you can get away with one web in most cases. So changes like that are what brawlers need. Uh, more damage is definitely helpful because in my situation, the faster you kill things, the faster you can get out. So I don't have any issues with the surgical strike buff. Um, things like that are helpful, but other changes CCP has made in the name of brawling have been you know, kind of hit or miss. Yeah, I guess my question there would be, like, how much of the issue with being able to brawl do you think is due to just kind of the ecosystem? So things like kind of the state of low sec or, like, the ability to find fights in low sec versus some of the mechanics that have been introduced, like being able to roll, like, longer scrams through abyssals and those kind of things? The abyssals have some role to play, but I don't think it's very major. Um, I'd say the Abyssal Rolled stuff actually affects Kiters more. Um, just because, you know, they normally take it to the extreme. But, you know, so you have like Long Point Hugens or whatever, or sorry, Long Web Hugens and Long Point Lachesis and things like that, that affect your abilities downgrade. Whereas like a Long Point Lachesis doesn't matter to me if I'm, if I have an MJD. Long Scram can potentially be a problem, but depending on the ship you're in, like a battleship, I should still be able to reach him with heavy newts. So I at least have a counter there. Whereas with things like state of low sec, um, that does also contribute some to the brawling meta because the people who brawled in low sec before may not really be able to find fights as often in low sec as they used to be able to. So now they move out to null sec and null sec is kind of a different mentality where they're like, oh, you're in our space, so we're just going to blob you so you go away so we can go back to crabbing. Whereas, like, in low sec, it was more, I just want to fight you because, hey, you're there, you're sitting in this plex, I've got my three to five friends with me, and, you know, from the next system over, we're going to see what happens. So when low sec is abandoned, um, or faction warfare is abandoned and isn't really iterated on, you end up pushing brawlers out into other areas of space where the meta is completely different and, you know, it's just not necessarily tailored to them. Uh, not to say that faction warfare needs to be tailored to brawlers, it's just it was an ecosystem you could use to get fights in a brawler consistently compared to Nullsec and, you know, how they react to things. Gotcha. Yeah, I... Sorry, that all uh, makes sense, and I think... It's interesting to you know to hear because I don't have very much uh, experience with low sec. I definitely never was in it when it was when it was busier. I hear versus now. Um, so I'm always curious to hear what what people think about it. Briefly, when I was when I first started out in faction warfare, just as an example here, um, I often roamed in Drakes. You know Drake and Hurricanes, and these were this is before Battle Cruisers even got the roll bonuses. This is actually back when people considered Battle Cruisers to be garbage tier. Um, I would roam around in a Drake, 
and it was an application fit Drake, which back then no one had really heard of. But going in Faction Warfare with my application fit Drake, I would just sit in a large plex, which there is no gate on large plex, you can just warp directly to them. But I would have these gangs of like five to ten frigates, like T1 frigates mixed with a couple assault frigates and things like that. They would all just warp to me and just brawl me at zero and I would just, you know, destroy a whole bunch of frigates and my Drake. <laughs> Um, you know, so that was kind of what you'd run into a lot. And, you know, whether it was my Drake, a Typhoon, whatever the ship may be, people just wanted to, to duke it out. And, you know, when that was all said and done, you'd say good fight and leave. And that was pretty much it. Like no one was there to push you out of their space. They just wanted to fight. Yeah. So talking about your brawling, you said earlier that you only have the one account, you know, one, one character that you play at a time kind of thing which I can't really imagine. I lived in NullSec for a while and I have four accounts and I don't probably need them all, but I find the utility of at least a second account so immense that I'm always, you know, kind of baffled <laughs> a little bit to, to hear someone say they only do one, but like, why one? What do you, what do you feel like you get from that aside from just not having a second subscription fee? Well, for one, for, you know, how I view a lot of games, not just EVE, is um, I generally try to play them as, you know, hard as possible, <laughs> just because it keeps it more interesting to me. Um, so that's kind of one aspect of it. The other aspect is um, when I joined EVE and I got into like NullSec and Faction Warfare and, you know, hung out and bringing Solo back and stuff like that, you know, people would always be like, oh, well, you need an alt to do that. And, you know, or you want to, you know, fly battleship solo, well, you need an alt for that. And that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it's just like, well, you know, we, there's the, the utility is there where you don't need an alt. It's just, you have to be a little bit more patient or careful in how you engage things. And I think it turns more into a situation of this is, you're, you're more trying to read the people you're fighting against rather than just focusing on the ship types, especially like when you're living in faction warfare, you'd run across the same people all the time or the same corporations all the time. So you would learn more, more about who you're fighting against rather than the ships you're fighting against and how to react in those situations. Um, and it also gives a whole new dynamic of how you navigate. Um, but uh, again, those are kind of like my perspective on alts. It's not necessarily that, you know, I don't think people shouldn't play with alts. Um, it's just, yeah, it's how just, I enjoy it. If you want to play EVE hard mode, someone floated an idea a while back about a like actual EVE hardcore permadeath mode and like what that would look like and what benefits you would have to get from it to make it worthwhile. And I don't know, the idea has a little bit of appeal to me, even though uh, it's hard to imagine actually enacting it in a way that makes sense. I would yeah. not last long. <laughs> I would be dead real fast. The first Nulsic uh, gate you jump into, it's just 20 sabers and hicks and everything. People would be hunting any character who is known to be permadeath. Like, it would be a train wreck, but it's an, it's an interesting thought. Right, right. Um, but yeah, going kind of going back briefly to the alt landscape or, you know, what I think about yeah. alts, the 
when people say, you know, you need an alt for this, the other thing, the other thought I have is we want people to, to, you know, play Eve. We want, you know, new bros to stick around and, you know, eventually get into more expensive ships to fly so that we can kill them in those expensive ships. <laughs> um, whereas I think a, a big turnoff for a lot of people is, you know, they join Eve and two weeks in, three weeks in, whatever, uh, they get told, oh, you need two alts to do this, you know. So now instead of just their one subscription, now they're being told they need multiple subscriptions. And I, I think that's just something that leaves a bad taste in, in newer players' mouths and isn't something I feel that people should be relying so hard on or at least, you know, telling this as it is. And so that's kind of another reason why I want to focus on staying one character. Like, I could go with alts if I wanted to. I just, I don't really care about it right now. Um, and I want to show, hey, look, you can still play this at a higher level without having alts. It's still possible. You just, you know, have to be a little bit more patient in how you choose things and how you navigate. That's yeah, I mean, point. yeah, I was going to say that's something that really resonates with me um, because I remember like when I first started, um, one of the first things I was told is like, oh, you know, you can get like a second, you know, VNI ratting alt, or you want a cap alt, or whatever kind of thing, uh, when I was in a block. And that was, like, really discouraging, that, like, I was told that the only way to be better at the game was just to run more accounts at once. And I think that's, like, part of what appealed, like, uh, part of the reason that, like, Small Gang appealed to me is because you could just be, like, one ship and do better. Like, obviously, there's a lot of alt use in small gang metas and that kind of thing. But I think the fact that like the ship you're in and being that one person matters versus being like a, a giant fleet of 50 with four tunes that you're F1ing at the same time kind of thing. Like, I think that part, especially for me, really resonates. Yeah, it feels like you're being better by operating Eve's mechanics better rather than managing multiple accounts better. Right, exactly. And I guess uh, my kind of question with that, too, is, like, do you think that we'd see less alt use if some of the supporting roles were, like, a little bit more engaging? Like, things I think of are, like, backpack alts and things like that, right? Where, you know, you could be main boxing, um, uh, you know, command SE, but a lot of times, like, it doesn't make sense to because you just don't add that much more to kind of what's going on on the, the grid. Right, yeah, like, you know, main boxing and command SE is probably pretty boring if all you have are links on it. Um, you know, or, you know, if you have a point, I suppose you can kind of do like a, a link plus interceptor type role. But yeah, it's not, not particularly fun. And I, I think uh, what I call this a lot as far as like why Eve uh, incentivizes using alt so much is that there's a lot of modules that I consider as, uh, you know, press button, receive bacon. Uh, you just, there's nothing else you do. You just press the module and forget about it. You know, like links, um, remote tracking computers, remote sensor boosters, uh, ADCU, things like that, where it's just, there's no real interaction with them beyond just pressing the button. There's no cap management, uh, or at least no significant cap management. And it just, you know, with links, there is a little bit of management if you're, and small gang and you're not just using the the uh command destroyer to orbit your 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 main because you need to make sure that you're staying within the range of everyone on grid so you need to be a little bit more aware of that um 
So yeah, links are kind of strange as a factor. Right, right. So links are a little different in that regard, but when you look at links in the aspect of a a backpack command destroyer, then you know it it doesn't matter, they just orbit you. Now, a fun thought experiment, not that I think this is a good idea, but a, a fun thought experiment is if we wanted to see less alts, you would want to change the the auto navigation commands. So like approach, orbit, keep at range, stuff like that. Like let's just say those were removed and you can no longer do auto commands like orbit and keep at range and things like that. You everything has to be done manually. That would significantly hamper the alt playstyle. Um but you know then it potentially goes on the other end and makes it almost impossible short of using things for like industry, market, PI, stuff like that. But it would significantly reduce the ability to command a bunch of alts. So again, not saying it's a good idea. I just think it's it's an interesting thought experiment on how it would change things. Yeah, and I think there is like a good argument to be made for the fact that like using alts can let you kind of punch up and do a lot of the things, especially in small gang, that you can't do otherwise. But like you said, I think it's an interesting thought experiment to think about what you would be like if you didn't need an alt or if it didn't feel like it was such a required thing for some of the activities. Right. And even if we look at it outside of small gang, and again, this is kind of how it gets a little bit more interesting is instead of looking at it like, well, my, my main is going to lose his link alt, look at it like, well, the, the, you know, person who has 10 gilas isn't going to warp them all in at the same time on you anymore. Um, You know, or the person with, the 20 quorum fleet who's multi-boxing 10 quorums can't, you know, hit you at the same time anymore. Uh, so there's an interesting dynamic there because not it does limit your ability to escalate, but it also limits your opponent's ability to escalate. Yeah. Um, I think it would be an interesting idea to see some of those modules. Some of them it obviously doesn't work for like the ADC, but stuff like links. You know, even if it just required a, you know, it was like a burst projector, it required a couple of clicks of aiming in space, would make that alt, and you know, triple or quadruple the amount of attention you need to give it. Right, and as far as ADCU, there you could with um, cap usage, but the cap uh, cap usage occurs every tick. So instead of just pressing the button, you get a single cap draw. It actually happens. You get a consistent cap draw, you know, every second. So you could actually interrupt the ADCU with newts, or if the cap draw is significant enough, you need to cap boost, you know, to keep it up. Um, so things like that are kind of what I would think of as far as making modules a little bit more engaging. So they're they're less of a press button receive bacon and something more that needs to be managed more intensely. Interesting. It's interesting thought. So we've been talking about brawling and also soloing. My impression is that you mostly look to brawl when you're out soloing rather than kiting. Is that, again, just because you you like to play Eve the most difficult way possible? Is it more fun? What do you, what do you get out of that? So I used to, when I started out, I used to kite more because that was, you know, what everyone was like. You know, mentioning is like, oh, it's just better to kite. Um, I think for me personally, though, you know, 
not afraid to admit it. I just think I'm a terrible kiter. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of like clicking and I do like an approach and then, you know, burn away kind of maneuver. Like I don't do the whole manual clicking orbit thing. Um, don't really know why. Just, uh, I just feel like I get overwhelmed really easily with it. Uh, whereas brawling is just easier to manage and I can maintain grid awareness because with kiting, I generally get tunnel visioned. Um, so I'll focus in on whatever I'm trying to stay away from. And then all of a sudden an interceptor is like 10 kilometers away. I'm like, Oh, well, I guess I'm scrammed now. Um, <laughs> whereas brawling, I can, I can have more grid awareness because I'm not having to manage my speed and, and staying away from certain things. And, and also with brawling, I'm not as scared as much of certain things. You know, if, if I see a Jaguar on grid in my, you know, brawling battleship, I'm like, okay, well, he's going to die first, but if he tackles me, it's not a big deal. Whereas if I'm in, you know, a Kaidi Vagabond or a, you know, Kaidi Hurricane Fleet issue, if I get tackled by a Jaguar, I'm like, mm, this, this is probably going to end in my death. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. So a lot of what people use alts for in small gang aside from you know remote tracking computers and links and you know on on grid like on combat grid boosts effectively um is scouting themselves what do you what do you do about that do you just jump gates and hope or is there pray (laughs) pray every (laughs) jump is there a do you do you like learn where people camp in more detail so that you can either choose to jump into it or not or do you just like how does how does having one account affect your your movement around nullsec or lowsec so learning how people think or you know how certain groups react to how you show up in their space is part of it um might be a little hard to explain without a picture, but you know, if we, if anyone looks looks up any Eve map or you know looks at the system layout, if you find any system with multiple connections that kind of go in a loop, generally what I always try to do is if I see a a detour on the map that goes around like a a main hub or a pipe, I'm going to take that detour, even if it adds extra time to my my route it means I'm going to avoid a common camping spot. If I've already been roaming in someone's space and uh, jumping you know, back and forth between busy systems, I'm not going to backtrack the same way I came. I'm going to use the detour path because I just assume there's a camp there. I also am using that for if you're looking at uh, like Ansiblex jump bridges. If I see one on my route, I'm going to try to avoid it if I can. You know, if I, if I can't avoid it, then I jump into that system and, you know, sometimes I might pray. <laughs> uh, other times, you know, I might check Z kill to see if there's, you know, lots of kills in that system or recent kills in that system. And if I jump in and it's relatively clear, then I'll, you know, warp to a celestial before I warp to the gate. And also because I've been solo roaming for so long, I have perches on pretty much every gate that is one of those, those isolated gates that don't have celestials near it. So I'll warp to those perches that I've set up, you know, years ago and still use them when I'm in those systems just to see if the gates are clear. Gotcha. Cool. Um, can I have access to your bookmark folder? <laughs> uh, cool. That's interesting. I often 
you know, I usually, I almost never solo. That's never been the most interesting thing in EVE to me. I always prefer small group dynamics. Um, my favorite thing is like the other day we had a, we jumped into some guys camping a gate in our gang and there was a Sabre and a Atron, I think, and a couple other tackle ships and then a couple bigger ships. And we took, you know, 10 seconds to coordinate who was dealing with what because we had an interceptor and a couple of draugers and then a Brutix and a couple cruisers. And, you know, coordinating that and then, you know, we, we knew the Brutix was still, still gate cloaked, but five kilometers from the saber so we deliberately pulled the saber off of him so that he could decloak and move safely and like when a a group gets sort of tight and cohesive like that because you know each other that's like that's the buzz i'm chasing so i almost never solo so it's always it's really interesting to me to hear these these thoughts because we usually have an interceptor or i'm the interceptor who's scouting for the gang right and other things too is that like a lot of small gangs and even when I when you know when I roam with Tuskers and small gang the first thing we do is you know hey let's go to this major hub uh, or this staging system whereas solo at least with like battleships and battle cruisers I say no let's not go to those hubs let's go to the surrounding areas or the border systems because you have to rely on on just being known on intel so I expect as I'm roaming through the four or five systems that lead up to that that staging area that have already been reported multiple times. And I just assume if I jump into that staging system, there's going to be a camp set up for me. So what I do instead is I linger for a few minutes in those border systems, kind of hanging out, waiting for me to kind of show up on Intel, waiting for people to mobilize and they start chasing. But by then I've already started heading back the way I came. Um, so that way the people who are actually eager to fight will start looking for me. And by then, you've already kind of spread them thin because some people are like, oh, he's already running. I'm not going to, you know, stick around. And but then there's other people who actually are like trying to find you and then they'll fight you. And then the other people who started burning back are now like, oh, well, I should come back and get in the fight. So that's kind of a way you can separate those groups because you you spread them out instead of just diving right into the uh, the staging area. Right. And as a solo ship, even a battleship or a battle cruiser, you don't seem as threatening like you know if we show up like with the gang i was i mentioned the other day we had two draugers an interceptor an orthrus and a, a brutix and you know no no one's gonna ram that by themselves no one's <laughs> you know so they're gonna either wait until the rest of the group gets closer or they're gonna wait in the staging until we go to the staging to get them to fight us yeah exactly all right, so um, I kind of had one closing question that I was kind of curious about, and that was um, if you were to be selected to CSM, like either for CCP or to other members of the CSM that were with you, like how would you kind of convince them or what would you say to them if they don't see balance as a huge priority compared to some of the other things that are being talked about? So EVE attracts a certain minded player. There are some mindsets found in EVE when you dig in a bit. There's a lot of uh, engineers, mechanics, or you know tech-savvy tech people who play, uh, whether it's IT, computers, or whatever. Um, and because of that, EVE attracts those that like to tinker. Uh, they like to create, explore, push the limits on what they feel suits their play style. 
this drive to tinker expands to not only ship balance, but things like fleet doctrines, uh, industry optimization, PI optimization, solo fits, small gang, and even like crabbing, you know, you want to make the most money. So you're going to optimize that. Uh, when balance is ignored, a large portion of the game becomes stagnant, which is the theory crafting that a lot of people find enjoyable, whether it's for solo, small gang, mid scale, large scale, you know, it all ends up cascading to all facets of the game. I won't say no one, but most people don't want to theory craft the same ship for years. Uh, and in my opinion, it creates burnout uh, because you can't create outside the limits that CCP has provided, uh, which have been fully optimized for years. So, you know, there's only so many times you can look at a material and come up with something new for it. Um, so providing a, a, a consistent or a cyclical balance strategy keeps the meta fresh, which keeps those people engaged in the game willing to spend time and money via subscription or, you know, plexing, which plexing comes from other people, uh, to try to find the upper hand against whatever it is they're fighting against. So ship and ecosystem balance keeps people playing and engaged. And in the end, EVE is a spaceship game. So let's focus on making spaceships fun and keeping space mysterious and unsolved. And I think that's a, a really good point. Not just for, you know, we obviously think about it for a small gang, but I think that's not just a small gang only thing, right? Like, there's lots of big block FCs that I'm sure are tired of, like, Munin fleets online type thing. And so, you know, balancing things in general makes it better for them, too. Like, not just for small gangers, right? Yeah, right, it provides exactly. that opportunity to have that good idea first. Like, you, you and I, Andy, the other day were having a conversation about... A, a fleet fit for a caracal and it was just like yeah this is this is a thing that has been solved there's, there's no, like two bits no yeah. to break here <laughs> and that's you know that's not the not the fun exploration that we want right exactly and you know finding something new to counter the caracal would be great but as of right now you know the t1 meta hasn't really changed a whole lot and you know, maybe with these industry changes, it might force more people into T1, so we might see a little bit more creativity. But, you know, in the end, a, a, a T1 rupture still isn't going to beat a Caracal fleet in most cases. So, you know, things like that are just the same status quo, and uh, hopefully we can see changes or balance changes in the future. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be chaos. It can be a, you know, a rolling progression where, like, you know, maybe ruptures and Caracals have the same relationship for... A year or two but bellicose's change in the meantime and like that affects how they they play off against each other you know? yeah i mean i think it doesn't have to be super rapid fire but ex expecting it and having it be reliable is the key i think right exactly like i remember when i started the game munins weren't like the go-to meta but at some point there was like a tipping point and then they became the popular thing and so if there's, you know, like, it doesn't have to be a super fast, like, flavor of the month type thing. But if there's some point where, you know, another ship becomes a better option, I think that's great. Right, exactly. And just seeing that 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 balance shift is a lot of fun and gets a lot of people excited when a, when a balance patch comes out where it's like, you know, hey, all these things are changing. Like, the first thing everyone does is like, oh, let me update EFT and, you know, or, well, not EFT anymore, but let me update Pyfa and, you know see what what we can figure out 
right, what new what new thing can I invent that's better than what I had yesterday? Right. Cool. Well, uh, do you guys have some shout outs? Anything in particular you want to mention this this round? Yeah, I mean, my shout out's quick. Um, so there's been the um, anger, what is it, anger games uh, going on last weekend, and I think next weekend as well. Um, and so uh, the network had a team in it, and I just wanted to give them a shout out because I know they've been practicing a bunch. They won their first match, lost their second match, um, but it's double elimination, so they still have some hope. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, yeah, seeing what they do. Yeah, excellent. The Anger Games, yes, it's uh, it was this weekend and the next weekend, and I think the the grand final is might be the weekend after that. Uh, Event has been streaming it, and I always really enjoy watching tournaments, um, even though I don't really have time for the practice schedules in my life. Uh, yeah, depending on been... what time it happens, we might do a little more on that next episode. Yeah, that'd be super cool. And it's fun to watch, like, not just our Alliance team, but it's cool to see people in Lesson 10 that I, like, recognize their names from. Um, like, I've seen plenty of other people that hang out and talk in Discord that have been on teams and are competing. So that's super cool, too. Awesome. Stitch, do you have a shout-out? Uh, yeah, I mean, a shout-out to everyone in uh, Lesson 10 Discord. You know, we all have a lot of good discussions and, uh, for the most part, are pretty pretty tame um shout out to everyone and bringing solo back you know that's kind of another place where i uh honed my skills for discussion <laughs> before i became a part of any major group and uh i think the last shout out will be to team talos and just to uh, hope that they keep doing what they're doing awesome my shout out's going to be for my new corporation nanocurrency um, which after furnace closed a while back Pharaoh and I formed this new corporation. We joined the network because we like these noir guys. We're hanging out with them. Um, but the the group we've recruited and are, and are hanging out with are pretty great. I've been having a lot of fun with them. All right. It's not the size of your gang. It's how you use it.